Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. Jason Roundsville here, joined as always by my co-host Dylan Ray, and we have with us one of our outfitters of the year we have steven ward with wards outfittings welcome to the show well it's great to be here great to be here hey we uh we appreciate you taking some time and it's one of those things every, every time we talk to you you just continue to step up support pope and young and bow hunting and and are just a great ambassador for all of it so we sure appreciate you taking some time today to join us no, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Give us, uh, just for folks, I, I mean, you've been around Pope and Young a long time. And from from the under, my understanding, your dad was also a big supporter. He was. You know, my dad, you know, passed away last year, um, was a big supporter. He's really who introduced us, you know, my whole family, uh, my brothers and and a lot of people in the community and throughout Arizona into bow hunting itself. And he really was a big proponent and, and promoter of Pope and young, anything that, anything that had to do with saving our sport, it's right. He was involved in, you know, he, you know, he, he, he wasn't, he got it really involved in the early years, obviously years and years ago. Um, and just really, really drilled it into us. Like, look, you're going to see, the future of hunting in itself is always a danger. And, and he really, really pushed anything you can do to help. You got to do it. So that's why we've always been, you know, really supported Pope and young. We support, you know, the, all the organizations, anything that protects our sport in a whole, we, we contribute to, and we do our best to do that. Um, well, that's good. And it's, it's so neat to see. Um, and we're very fortunate because we get a lot of just the best outfitters in the business that just want to work with us, which is, is great. And it's so neat to see that when you have, you know, folks like yourself that understand, gee, there, there's people out here fighting for us, you know, Pope and young is fighting for bow hunting literally every day. And it's, it's so neat when, when folks recognize that. And then in your case, give back, you know, over and over. So, yeah, you know, one thing I, I don't know, just, just to, just to let people know a little bit about 
um, you know, the award, you just um, were one of three outfitters to receive the the Outstanding Outfitter Award for Pope and Young for this past biennium. And just for those that don't understand, we, we have roughly 100, close to 100 outfitters that we work with. And so that's the top, you know, 3%, if you will, of of outfitters that get recognized with that. And it's it's the ones who, you know, give and, and always come through. And so it's just so people know that's, that's a big deal. It's not, Oh, every, every outfitter and we have a lot of good ones, but not every outfitter gets that. It's just the very select few. So um, congratulations definitely go out to you and, and a big thank you along with it. No, it was uh it was great to get just to, you know, we don't do this. We don't, we don't contribute to Pope and Young to be recognized. We, you know, like we just discussed, we contribute to help, save our sport. I mean, that's the sole purpose of what we do. But on the other hand, it was really, really nice to be recognized and to be called up on stage. And it was a total surprise. You know, my, guy, my guys were like, Hey, we got to go. And I'm like, we're going, no, no, we need to be there now. And I'm like, ah, good. 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 You know? <laughs> I was like, yeah, but I'm talking to everybody, you know, but they're like, come on, we got to get in there. You know, so I, I'm, I may have made them promise me you would be in that room when we did that. Yeah. So. After, after it was all said and done, they were like, yeah, they talked to us and said, you have to be there. You're getting an award. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that's, was, I'll tell you what, man, your guys's booth. I'm not saying you had more fun than anybody else at convention, <laughs> but, it was but if I saw another booth having more fun, I, I didn't see anybody else having more fun. Your crew was there to have a good time and chat everybody up and oh my gosh man every time i walked by you guys were just just full the, it was great the first time the first time i talked to steven all week he said hey where's my keg i'm like what are you talking about i said heather's get me a keg and i'm like i don't know but i'll find out we'll find <laughs> out it took you know, a little bit longer to get there than we, than we had thought but it uh we also changed a few things up on them at the last minute so um no, it was, no, that was great. It was great, you know, and and we're lucky. We have such a strong following at the Pope and Young. I mean, if there's, I guarantee we have a couple hundred clients that have hunted with us there, and it's just so good to see them, you know, and talk to them. And, and you know, some of those guys like Harv Ebers, I look forward to every year. I mean, I talk to them often, you know, throughout the year, two or three times we kind of call and and talk about hunting and traditional bow hunting and stuff. But there's times when you look at our booth, there's a bunch of legends, like legends oh, yeah. in there. And and it really makes me proud. You know, like some of my guys are newer guides. You know, they've been hunting for years. I've known them, but we brought them on full time. And I'm like, I don't think you know who that is. Like it was funny because Tom yes. came by. Tom Miranda came by and Justin is like, Hey, you ever kill a coos deer? Well, he didn't recognize Tom. <laughs> but he's like, He's like, you know, you really want to kill an archer coos? You got to hunt with us. And and one of my other guys is like, you idiot. Don't you know who that is? Um, so it's just fun. You know? At least you know you got a salesman on your hands, though. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. He does yeah. a good job. That's Dylan's like that. He has no fear. He'll talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere. Yep. Yep. So, well, what's good. funny, my first convention, and I had, you know, I had read Jack Frost my whole life and I had read about him and, read articles and, and, uh, but my first convention, I walk up and they were standing in a group and I said, Hey, nice to meet you. My name's Dylan. What's your name? And Jason just leans over. He goes, Jack Frost, bro. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh crap. My bad. Hey, how are you? How are you? Dr. Dr. Frost. How are you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's no. yeah. I've, I've, uh, we were standing in the hall and I was at one of my buddy's booths. Um, he had the, the uh, North American guide service in the hex booth down there. And, uh, his his wife always works the booth with him and so so we're sitting there and, and all of a sudden chuck adams is walking down the line i was like hey let me introduce you to chuck because you know that's once again one of those big names oh yeah and i just happened to be there at that time and we look over and we're like we better tell kelly so she <laughs> just so she doesn't go out and say hey what do you do yeah exactly <laughs> so exactly. yeah same same type of deal but no some of these guys and you just I think some of you just don't expect for legends to just to be walking around, shaking hands, BSing, asking about hunts. 
it's just so cool. What, what's really cool about, about Pope and Young legends, I should say, is they don't, they don't fawn it. You know, right. they, they don't walk around like they're better than you. They really don't. And those guys like, like Chuck and Jack and all these Harv, you, if you don't know who they are, you think they're just normal hunters. But when you really dig into it, those guys are legit. I mean, those guys are what bow hunting, you know, those guys are, are who we strive to be. And, but you wouldn't know it unless you, unless you read about them and you made that, that kind of assessment of them, you know, but those guys, you know, Chuck would stop by. We talk about, we talked about the bison hunt on that he had and bison hunt I had on the house rock and kind of compared notes and, and they were kind of the same. We both, you know, tracked them and, and spent a lot of time looking for them and stuff. And, and it's just kind of cool to know that for me, it's cool to know that Chuck and I hunted the same area and we both killed our bison in the same area. And it's like, that's pretty cool, you know? And um, it kind of brings me back to the hunting side of things because over the years, over the last 20 years, it's really been focused on client, 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 client. And I've been fortunate enough the last, let's say three or four years that I've drawn some pretty premium tags in Arizona and got to actually do my own thing, you know? Right. And it's brought me back to that side of the, of the hunting industry where it's like, you know what? I miss that. I, I really miss that. But um, so just seeing those guys and not, they're not arrogant. They're down to earth. And those guys produce, I mean, when you looked at the record stuff, I mean, Chuck Adams was up there. I don't know how many times, you know? Yeah, a bunch. Um, and yeah, New World Records and everything. Geez, it's just an amazing hunter, you know, and an amazing man, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he's so nice. And and we've had a chance to to get to know him and his wife, Greta, a little bit just from doing the show a few times and talking to him. And and so it was funny because he was coming down the aisle this one time and and uh, the guy, the guy who just put out our new record book, Ricky Kruger, he was in charge of that project, did a heck of a job, phenomenal set of books, but he worked really hard and there was a lot of pressure on him to make sure that book was at convention. Oh yeah. And so Ricky and, and Chuck was one of the contributors there. So <laughs> Ricky, Ricky was getting his picture taken and I'm sitting there and, and so he's like, Hey, will you take our picture and he hands his camera to to Greta Chuck's wife and hands Chuck one of the books and they take a picture with it. <laughs> and so I was just kind of playing with, with Ricky and Chuck a little bit. And I said, Hey, can I, can I get my picture? And so I, I handed the camera over to Ricky and I grabbed the book from Chuck and I handed it to Greta. And then I got a picture with her. Just nice. Because <laughs> nice. <laughs> she was, she was like literally walking, you know, having to take pictures of everybody with Chuck. And she just, she, she just got a big smile on her face. It was kind yeah. of funny to, to do but it was uh it's neat they're just neat people you just talk to them and really it's amazing like you're saying it takes it takes a special woman to be married to chuck not because (laughs) chuck (laughs) not because of any other thing but chuck likes to hunt and he's gone a lot of times like he was talking a little bit about his his world record and stuff this year you know hunting and and being gone and laying in a reading book after book because of the weather well I don't think she was there. She was probably at home. Like, what the heck's going on, man? He's gone another yeah. day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, I uh, I got to do something. I bu- I bought a recurve for my dad, and so I Facetime my dad. Well, at first I texted him. I said, "Make sure to answer your Facetime," because I just knew he wasn't going to answer it. I said, "Make sure to answer your Facetime." And so I Facetime my dad. I'm like, "Hey, dad, look at this new bow. I just bought you at the convention, man." He's like, "Oh, dude, that's so cool, man. Thank you so much." Why would you do that for me? And I said, well, I also figured I could have this guy sign it. And I panned the phone over and it was Chuck. And my dad was like, I've never seen my dad act like a giddy little girl. And my dad was like, oh my gosh, are you serious? He said, dude, I used to want to be you. I used to want to be just like you. He's like, then I figured out how hard you hunted. And now I don't want to be like you at all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's uh, He works at it. Yeah. yeah. He's not just showing up. No. Like people, people understand he's not just rolling into some you know, high dollar place just to go wherever they tell him to go to shoot whatever happens to be there. This guy is out there 
DIY, like he's putting in weeks at a time. Yeah. Well, that like world record say, trip was like 29 days. Yeah, 29. Alone. Like and most of it, like you're saying, in a tent reading books because it's too nasty to get out yeah. of the tent. Yeah. You know, those guys, it's funny, like in our business, occasionally we get some, I mean, we got a lot of high profile names, you know, we got a lot of guys that have killed a lot of stuff. And, and sometimes I have to, if I'm not personally with them, I have to remind my guides, look, and it sounds bad saying this, but this guy probably knows more about hunting than you do. So if he makes a suggestion, you know, just listen to him. And, uh, one of them, Corky Richardson. I know you guys know Corky Richardson. Yeah, Corky, he's been. He's a really good friend of mine, and Russ and George, the whole family. And a few years ago, he went on a coos deer hunt with us, and and Lane Chitwood, who now works for Diamond Outfitters. You guys have met him there. Yep. He he was working for us, and we're still. I consider Lane like a son to me, and he's doing great. He's doing a great job. And when Corky was like, "Hey, Steven, I want to kill a hundred inch coos," I said, "Well, let's go. We'll kill one." You know, I'm going to put you on our ranch in Mexico. And, and after we got it booked, the first, I couldn't be there. So I was like, I'm going to have Lane take care of him. So I give Lane a call up. I'm like, Hey, you know who Corky Richardson is? He goes, I know the name. I know the name. I said, well, listen, he's coming to Coos home with you. And he's really good. So I want you to set everything up like you would, but clear it by him, learn from him. And, And it worked out. I mean, they, they really bonded and, and everything was good. And Corky shot a really good coos buck over hundred inches. And, um, but sometimes when you get those guys like, like Corky and Chuck and all these, you know, high profile guys that have really hunted all over the place. Um, they, they, you know, they don't come in trying to run things. They never do that. And, um, they're very open, you know, they listen to the guides and, and sometimes they'll make a suggestion like, Hey, let's move the blind over here six feet you know, and it works out. We do it, you know, but, um, we had Ricardo Longoria in camp. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's a big, big bow hunter. And, and I helped him in Mexico for him and Britt Longoria. And he, he's a big bow hunter and he never once tried to guide the guide. Not once. It was like, and this guy hunts all over the world. And it was yeah. always, it was always like, what do you want me to do? And, and it works good like that because a lot of times, you know, when we're species specific and we've hunted them so much, we know what those animals are like and we know how they react and we know what they're doing. But, and so those guys, I mean, it's just, they're amazing. I mean, there's so many good bow hunters out there and it's fun. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, having other guys that you've worked with in the past. And so here's a story I'm just going to throw out just in case people haven't heard it i think we were at western hunt expo a year ago and we were talking to some outfitters down there and and there's a lot of good ones there and so we're talking to some folks and we're just looking to see who's a good fit for for pope and young and for us you know who who understands bow hunting because it's different when you're guiding a bow hunter instead of guy you know there's people who will take a bow hunter and then there's people who specialize in bow hunting and you specialize in bow hunting. You understand the difference. Um, and not everybody does. And so we're just talking to folks and we had two outfitters at one show who we're talking to them. And and the first time we're in there, we're talking, they're like, Oh, they're definitely interested. They're like, wow, Pope and young, that would be an honor to be associated with you guys. And then later, like we, we went back by later just to drop off the contract. And in two cases, they're like, Hey, you know what? Um, I know Stephen Ward is, is big with you guys. And you know what? He helped get me my start. So, you know, before I do anything, I just want to call, I just want to talk to him to make sure that this is okay. And I'm like, what? Here's one out there. <laughs> talking about a, a you know quote unquote rival outfitter and he wants to go talk to him before he i'm like that's respect right there and you know, we had two different outfitters do that say hey you know what steven helped me get my start i you know i don't want to step on his toes ever let me check with him and i think both of them talked to you and then you said heck yeah man it's for a good cause this is yeah so yeah we don't 
you know, it kind of, it's giving me goosebumps right now. I mean, we've, we all have to start somewhere. You know, we all, we all start with nothing. You know, we, we, we all come to that point where me personally, I came to the point where I was satisfied with what I had harvested and how I had hunted and, and, and I wanted to pass that passion on to other people. And the first few times that I did it, I got just as much excitement out of helping them harvest the animal as I did. And so that's when I knew that like my career as a guide and outfitter would be, would be good because I didn't have to kill the animal. I got the feeling and the adrenaline and the, and especially with bow hunting, because you're right with them. I mean, you're basically yeah. telling them to step, telling them to jab, telling them when to draw, giving them a yardage, stopping the bull or grunting at a, a deer and telling them when to shoot. And, and so you're doing everything that you would be doing with the exception of launching the arrow. And we've, over the years, we've had a lot of guys that have come and worked for us. And I, I, you know, as far like Lane, let's say, for instance, Lane, he, I mean, he told me, he says, Stephen, I've been offered a great job with Diamond and, you know, running hounds and stuff is my passion and I love doing it because we don't, we don't really run hounds. I mean, we're, we're starting to do it and we've, you know, I've got one of my guides that has hounds and stuff, but it's not something we do all the time. And we'd invested a lot of time into Lane. I mean, like five years. And I was like, dude, you do what's right for you. You know, you go do what you need to do to support you. And, and he's doing really good at it, you know, and then a really good friend of mine, Billy Gonzalez, um, he was there at the show. Yeah. You know, he had AZ buck and bulls when he started working with us. And I've, I've always, I didn't care if they had their own little gig. Right. And they did a few hunts here and there. There was always that rule. Don't steal my clients. Don't hunt stuff that I've showed you. Yeah. And other than that, do your thing, you know, and Billy's done really good with it. And, and, you know, he helps me and I help him and, and, you know, it's he was one of the guys, he yeah, was he's one, one of the guys, guys. Hey, man, I got to you know? talk to Steve before I say, you know, you I'd know? love to work with you, but I, I got to talk to Steven first. And yeah, yeah I mean, it's, cool. you know, was, he bought, I know that he had a hunt there and I know the Ebers bought it, which the Ebers okay. have hunted with me multiple times. And Billy and I talked, I said, look, dude, you're not just guiding the normal group of people. I mean, you're, you're, you're taking on the president of Pope and young. And, yeah. and so, one of the founders of Pope. And young, exactly. Cause I think yeah. Harv is going on. Yeah. So you got the, one of the founding members of Pope and young and the current president of Pope and young, no yeah. pressure, no pressure, so, no pressure. And yeah, and we both, I said, look, if you need help, he's like, yeah, let's do it. We'll work together on it. But that's good because there's so much, there's so much infighting. There's, there's, you know, this company's mad that, you know, I'm lucky where we're at. We don't deal with a lot of that. The people that are here, I know, and it's really easy to work together, you know? Yeah. And that's a blessing, you know? And, and it's been, there's, you can't have the infighting between companies. There's plenty of game. There's plenty of big deer, big elk, big antelope, you know, just, just, work together. And that's one thing that I've always promoted is, I mean, even when, because we had a lot of public ground in Arizona, a lot, like 98% of the hunts we conduct are on public ground. And there's been multiple times where I've seen a guy struggling, you know, on a bow hunt. And I'm like, Hey, you really want to kill one. I've got a ground blind. You can sit really, what's it going to cost me? Nothing. Two things happen there. One, you keep a guy involved in the sport. Two, you help a guy get an animal and three, guess what? Maybe somewhere down the line, he's going to draw a premium tag and he's going to want you to help him. But yeah, you know, you, everybody's got to work together. I mean, it's just, it's just part of the industry. We have to, if we're going to save it, if we're going to keep moving forward, we have to work together as a team. How long have you been guiding? As a career night going on 20 years, this july it'll be 20 years and wow. prior to that it's kind of a crazy story prior to that and i'll tell you if you want but we uh i worked for the department of corrections and i was a canine officer for like five and a half years and 
I remember my wife was going through nursing school and when we got her done with nursing school, she worked a year and I had always told her, look, when you're done with school, I'm going to pursue guiding and outfitting as a career. And, and so in high school, I used to take people out on weekends. Just, I was always beat up from football games and stuff. And I'd take guys out $50 a day a person. But back then, man, I was making a killing, right? You know, I'd go to the local restaurant and I would sit there and I'd see hunters and I'd say, Hey, how's it going? You know? And, Oh man, we're not seeing nothing. What unit are you in? And then I'd say, Hey, I'll take you out. And for 50 bucks, they were all over it, you know, but for me, that was a lot of money. But anyways, going back to the correction side of it, I started booking hunts, booking hunts, booking more hunts, booking more hunts. And I went in and I asked for a leave of absence because I wasn't sure I was going to make it. And the warden at the time, I remember we were in this big conference room and, and there's like a 30 chair table. And of course I'm on one end and she's on the other. And it's like, we have to yell at each other. And I had written a memo and a report about why I wanted a leave of absence for the month of January, which is our archery deer season here. And she tells me, nope, not granting your leave of absence. The success of your new business has nothing to do with the Department of Corrections. And so I already had my two week notice in my, in my shirt pocket. And so I went to my Lieutenant after that meeting, I walked in there and I said, Hey, I need to take two weeks off. And he goes, you can't take two weeks off. You don't have a, how are you going to hunt? How are you going to guide hunters? Cause he knew what I was doing. And I said, I'll work comp time. I'll work overtime. I need two weeks off. I'm, I'm burned out bad. And he looked at the schedule and he signed off the two week vacation and I handed my two week notice to him and he goes, you're not serious. I said, I'm serious, man. And he's like, well, good luck. And that was it. And you know what? The crazy thing is, is I didn't tell my wife for like three or four days. Um, oh, man. <laughs> I got, I got up one morning and she's like, Hey, why are you not at work? And I said, I took the day off. And she said the same thing. You can't take time off. You don't have enough time. And I said, no, we'll be all right. And the next day, the same thing. And then the next day she goes, what's going on? And I said, I quit. We had just had a new baby. He was three years old. Ooh. Just bought a house. We just had bought a house. It was like six months in this house. And I told her, I said, look, no risk, no reward. And I've lived by that from that day on. I've lived by it. And it's bit me in the butt a few times, but most of the time it's really worked out and, and I kind of teach my kids the same thing. You know, um, my oldest boy was going to New Mexico state university for an aerospace and mechanical engineering, full ride, hundred percent paid scholarships. And his, the end of his sophomore year, right before COVID, he called me up and said, I need to talk to you and mom. And, and, uh, I said, what's up? And he goes, well, I need to talk to you guys. I don't want you to be mad. Well, the first thing I thought is he had had a girlfriend and made a mistake, you know, and we got on the phone and he says, I'm, I'm finishing my sophomore year, but I signed an 18 x-ray contract with uh, the army and I'm going into special forces and, and that's what he's doing now. And I was a little upset at first, you know, I was like, dude, you've got a, you've got an internship with Raytheon making like 35 bucks an hour as a sophomore. And he's like, dad, no risk, no reward. And if I don't do it, I'll regret it the rest of my life. And so I kind of look at what I did and I drilled that. I've drilled that into my kids' heads. You know, look, you got to take risk in life. And sometimes yeah. it's work and sometimes it isn't. But, you know, we're fortunate. God's blessed us. I mean, we're here where we are today because of that risk and, and only by the grace of God. I mean, seriously. I mean, that's why we're here. You know, so. Yeah, Dylan, we just heard the one thing he's afraid of or he was afraid of is telling his wife that he, quit. <laughs> he wasn't afraid to quit. He wasn't afraid of his boss, but man, he didn't want to tell the wife. <laughs> oh, geez. geez. I'll tell you, she's a special person, man. I mean, being an outfitter, it takes you away from the family so much. I mean, if you want to be successful, you have to commit so much time to it. And you know, the last two years, I've really, really stepped back. And 
you know, when my parents, my parents moved in with me last year and they lived with us for about six months before they both passed away. And that right there was the, the breaking point where it was like, you know what I have, I'm very, very controlling. I mean, I, I'm not a, I'm not a micromanager, but I'm very involved in the business as far as I want to know what's going on every single day. If you go on a stock and blow it, I want to know it. And if I'm not there, right. And it was really hard for me to let go and not be in control like that until my parents got sick. And then I thought, well, I really didn't have a choice. You know, it was like, Hey guys, you have to take care of these people. You're going to have to organize dinners and you're going to have to organize lunches and you're, you know, I'll take care of motel rooms and, and I'll do all that back end stuff, but you guys are in the field with them. And I'll tell you what, my group of guys that you met at Pope and Young are unbelievable. I mean, those guys, the business is only as good as the guides. I mean, you get one bad guide, it can ruin one hunter and that hunter can get on social media and he can blast you. And yeah. so we've been very fortunate. We vet them pretty hard. We make them hunt with us show what they can do. And, you know, we get a lot of ex-military guys. We get, I really pay attention to what sports they've been involved in. Justin, as you guys know, was a pro UFC fighter and a wrestler. Well, nobody works harder than a wrestler. I mean, it's a one-on-one sport and those guys, their work ethic, it is unbelievable. And it goes with the military people, you know, Daniel's retired air force and Max is, uh, hard worker. He's not retired military, but he was a, uh, he was a D one prospect football player until he got hurt. And so, because I'm super involved in sports and my kids are, I look at those people as guides, you know, because they, they have a really strong work ethic and without those guys, our business over the years, without the guys like Lane Chitwood and Billy Gonzalez and, and Anthony small, Anthony is one of our veteran guides and, and I can basically tell Anthony, go to Mexico and take care of business. And he'll run the operation for three, four weeks at a time. And I don't have to deal with anything. The same goes with Dave Barragon. I don't want to miss anybody. Dave is a retired, retired from the state of Arizona and was one of my dad's best friends. And Dave's the same way. I, he manages one of our acoustic ranches in Mexico. And I'm like, look, take care of business, man. And it's always perfect. He doesn't skip a beat. And I have to give props to those guys because without that team, we wouldn't be where we are today. You know, we wouldn't. So thank you. Those guys, you know, that are listening are going to see this. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, that's part of the whole, you know, the, the team concept goes along with the sports and then, and then also the whole, aura that surrounds i mean they, everybody there was having fun i mean you oh, can yeah. tell you know because especially show season man it drags like there's a yeah. lot of shows and they're everyone's a day or two longer than you feel like you're up for and so man they came in they were having fun they were positive the whole time i mean i don't think i walked through that hallway without one of your guys you know waving or saying hi or something so it was um it just goes to the the team concept you got going well, and, you know, Pope and Young's a di- different atmosphere. It really is. We, quite honestly, Pope and Young's the only show we do. And we do it because we want to support the cause. And we do it because we have so many clients there and it's good to hang out. But the people at Pope and Young, bow hunters in general, are different animals. You know, not saying that, I mean, a lot of the guys are bow hunters and gun hunters, which I don't have an issue with because, you know, my kids gun hunt and they bow hunt. But Pope and Young, the, the convention itself is so laid back. It's not, it's not crazy, right? And it's so well. Yeah. You guys do such a great job organizing it. It's, it flows, right? Except for getting the keg a little late. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know Pope and Young just does, it's just right. You know, Heather, every time I message Heather, she's right back with me. And you know, you guys, anytime I go to you with it, with a con- not even a concern, like, Hey, you know, can we get an extra chair? We're on it. it. It's just so personable that that's why I love it. And I'm, I'm really excited for it to be in Phoenix. I mean, I wasn't able to make the one in Scottsdale a few years ago because we were doing sheep hunts in Mexico, but 
you know, my wife is like the back end of this business and I can contribute a lot of my success in this business because of her. I mean, she, she is the backbone. Like I say, Hey, we need to do this. No, we probably shouldn't. Yes, we need to do it because I'm like no risk, no reward. Right. And she puts right. me in check. She's like, she's like, <laughs> puts me in check. And, and I listen most of the time. Sometimes I just do it anyways. And, and sometimes when I do it anyways, it comes to bite us in the butt. But I'm excited because you guys have never met her. Nobody. My wife doesn't. She's not a people person. You know, she's a family wife. She is all about she will do anything for the family. And so I told her, I said, look, it's in Phoenix. You're going. And so she's like, I don't want to hang out with you for three days talking. To her. I said, no, no. I said, we're going to go. We're going to, because I've never really gotten to go and do all the events, right? I mean, it's, I've been at the mm-hmm. booth or I've been doing seminars or I'm talking to clients. I told them, no, no, we're going to go and we're going to enjoy a lot of the back end stuff that Pope Young has to offer, you know, and, and do that stuff. So I'm excited for it to be in Phoenix. And plus, I don't have to drive 16 hours with a trailer yeah. full of animals, but it'll be really good. I know we've heard a lot of positive, but a lot of folks are excited about Phoenix. I think it's going to be a great event and the, the space there is really good. So I think it's, um, I think it's going to be good. You know, when we're talking to, to outfitters and things, we try to tell people kind of what you're like, some of the nuances you're talking about. Cause if you, if you're talking to an outfitter that's going to one of these other shows, like, they're going to see 20,000 people. Yeah. And I try to tell them, Hey, you're not going to see 20,000 people. Like throughout the course of the week, you're going to see 2000 people, yeah. but they're the 2000 people who are the most likely to go book two hunts. Exactly. And, and it's, it, you have, we try to tell everybody that so that they understand what to expect that it's not just constant traffic, but a lot of times some of these other shows, it's constant track, constant traffic of, you know, bass fishermen or, or something else, you know, we're getting bow hunters in front of bow hunting companies, bow hunting outfitters. So, and it's, it's been the same thing. Like I, I told Billy's like, what do I expect? And I said, dude, you're not going to see a ton of people, but everybody there is serious. Like they are flying there to look for bow hunting outfitters and to hang out with their buddies and stuff. And it's going to be worth it. Once you get established in that club and you prove your worth, it'll make or break you. So you need to be on top of your game. You know, you need to make sure everything's right. And I mean, you, you know, I've been to a lot of the shows and it's all, it's a lot of the same guys, you know, it's a lot of the same outfitting companies that, and, and there's always like, when you go by, it's funny because you can walk by any booth that's been there for the last three or four conventions and most of the time, it's people that have hunted with those people. They're talking to them, rebooking. I mean, I can, it was a great show for us, you know, as far as booking goes. We booked a few new clients and we booked a lot of regular clients, you know, like Harv's going to come back with us in Mexico and, and uh, Drew McCartney's going to come and we're putting all those old school guys like in on their same camp, you know, because they'll get along well and they all have the same kind of hunting style and, um, that's what I love about Pope and Young is it's so personable. It's not a bunch yeah. of, it's not a bunch of tire kickers. I've back in the early days, I've been to some shows. I went to one, I won't even say the name nine days. And I know you guys probably know which one I'm talking about. It was nine days of five and six year old kids taking thousands of brochures and putting them in their little bag. And it was miserable. I will never go back there ever. And um, Pope and Young's always been really good because that's what we do. We bow hunt. We're special. We yeah. special in bow hunting. You know, it's the right. It's the right people. So now here's here's something I'll throw out at you. I know uh, you've done it multiple times for us, um, and and you do a whole presentation on finding the right outfitter outfitters. If you had to do the the two minute version of that for our listeners today, what what kind of stuff would you throw at them? You know, what, what I really stress, there's two things that I stress. One, if you're looking for a really legit bow hunting outfitter, 
there's one company you need to call and that's Boeing Safari Consultants. I mean, Mark and Neil and Jay, you know, Mark's since retired, but I can contribute the early years of our success to Mark Buer. I mean, he basically helped us build our company by sending us, he came and hunted with us, had a great time, hunted hunted with me three times now, I think. And that's one of the things I press in there. And although Boeing Safari Consultants offers other coos deer hunts and other mule deer hunts and other elk hunts, it doesn't matter to me because if you're hunting with Boeing Safari Consultants outfitters, you're hunting with the best Boeing outfitters there are. The second most important thing that I put out there is stop calling the successful hunters. You want to talk to one or two successful hunters, but you want to talk to five or six unsuccessful hunters. Talk to the guys that didn't kill because the successful guy is always happy, right? Oh man, I killed a right. on the second day or they hunted hard for five days. The unsuccessful guys are the ones that you want to talk to because they're going to tell you why they weren't successful. As a matter of fact, in one of our meetings or in one of my seminars, there was a client sitting in back that's hunted with me, I think three or four times for coos deer and he finally killed one. And I said, you're going to talk to that guy because he, he was unsuccessful. And he's like, well, I killed one this year. And I said, yeah, but why didn't you kill the years before? Well, I missed shots and I wounded a buck and and weather one year was horrible, but I still got a shot. So those are the guys you want to talk to is, is always tell the outfitter. I want two or three successful clients and I want twice that many of unsuccessful. And you know, we kind of get in a bind there because we don't have a lot of clients that are unsuccessful, but we have a number of them. And so we'll send that out. I'll even get guys that call me and say, Hey, do you have any references? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to send you three successful and three unsuccessful. Well, why the unsuccessful? Just talk to them, you know, which these days it doesn't happen often. Most everybody does their research, you know, online, bowsite.com reviews, all that stuff. But, but I think that the really important to get down to the nitty gritty of why somebody wasn't successful, talk to those guys and they'll tell you, well, it wasn't his fault. They worked hard, you know, yeah. that would be the short version of that answer. Yes. The, there's one thing that's become clear is man, not all bow hunters are created equal and you <laughs> give, you give, you know, 50 people the same exact opportunity and, it's entirely possible. Only four times does it come out or the right way. Um, you hope for more than that, but you do I feel like just... you're talking about me, Jason. <laughs> I feel like you're taking shots. Yeah, just, he is. You know, you, you just hear, you hear a lot of different stuff, and it's like I had a guy one time. He's telling me, he's like, "Oh man, I was sitting in this ground blind. This this elk, you know, this nice six point bull was coming down and." It must have winded me. I was like, how close did you get? He says, about 80 yards. I said, what were you, what were you doing? He was, I was moving stuff, putting it away. I'm like, dude, that elk heard you. No. I'm like, yeah, it did. And then you get to thinking about it. And it's like, if you just sat there quiet, you'd have killed the bull. But you literally spooked it off. And he didn't even realize it was his fault until. Well, it's a, you're sitting in a big speaker box. And yeah. all the openings to your speaker box are pointing in the direction that that elk's coming from. So everything's especially with their keen sense of hearing, it's all magnified. He, he got in 80 yards and was like, huh? Yeah. You never heard that before. You know? Yeah. We had a, uh, or go ahead, go ahead. No, it's, it's amazing how much they can hear and you don't realize it until you see it. Like, like I hunt ground blinds quite a bit and I don't know, this spike bull at like 200 yards up this ridge. And I went to like grab something out of my pack. And I think I just quietly did my zipper and at 200 yards. It was always just like, yep. like he heard it at 200 yards. I'm like, wow, yeah. how many things are coming in at, at, you know, 80 or 60 or 40 right behind you. And then you make some stupid noise. Cause you don't even know they're there. And then they just slip out without ever knowing. You know, it's crazy. You talk about that coos deer kind of, they, you know, they're always on a, they're always on edge, always a bird flies over them and they, they think they're going to get killed, you know? And I've noticed with coos deer out of blinds, a lot of times they let you get away with the loud noises, which is super weird. And I've showed clients this before, 
but the very, very silent, like barely, you know, boom, they're on you. And I think it's because lions aren't loud, right? They don't make loud noises. And they're so in tune to that super minute little disturbance that coos deer just go nuts over it. And I've had guys, I've had guys with their arrow fall off their rest. And they're like, you know, but then they move, they move their foot in the blind and it goes and boom, they're on. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy, but we've, I've got a crazy story for you. So this last year, and I won't use any names, obviously there was some bow hunters coming into camp. They were supposed to be here on Friday and they did show up Friday, but anyways, they're supposed to be in early enough to go shoot their bows. And so they, I call them at like two o'clock. Hey, you guys, you know, where are you at? What's your ETA? Oh, we're going to be late. we got to stop by Sportsman's in Tucson on the way in, grab a few things. All right, cool. Well, they get in at like 1030, so it's too late to shoot. Next morning, they get up and they go hunt with Justin. And the first stock they go on, like a mid-160s buck, mule deer buck, Justin calls him in to like 35 yards. Tells the kid when to draw, has him set up, everything. Kid misses. And kid, he's in his 30s. And Justin's like, man, did you use the wrong pin? Were you looking through the peep? Because you missed really bad. No, man, the pin was on him. I think everything was good. I think it was good. So, of course, I get a text, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, you know, that sucks. So they go back, they glass up some pigs and the dad's turn. He goes, goes on a stock. Same thing. Get right in on him. Misses a ton. And. Justin calls me and he says, the dad just missed a pig, missed it bad. And I said, well, those guys need to shoot. Make sure they shoot, get the target out and have them shoot. So he calls me back. He goes, they don't want to shoot. And I said, well, they need to shoot. They don't want to. I said, well, tell them they have to, you know, I mean, just put your foot down and say, Hey, we're going to shoot 20 yards. Well, come to find out these guys have never bow hunted the father, son stopped at sportsman's warehouse on the way in. And bought ready to shoot bows with releases and broadheads. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh, no way. Yes. And they thought the bows were ready to shoot. They had never oh. shot. And so, Justin, they stepped <laughs> up about it, right? They're like, look, we've never shot these bows. We bought them ready to shoot. And I told John, <laughs> I said, look, just take them to the house, give them. A half day, the morning shot, give him a half to three quarter day bow lesson. And so he got him shooting out to like 30 yards. And I said, look, no shots past 30. He goes, well, they're shooting like a pie, you know, like a pie plate group at 30. And I said, well, that's really not good enough, but it's going to have to do. So those guys, the father, son, they missed like nine or 10 shots between the two of them that week. But, but oh. We got them introduced to the sport. They loved it. They're coming back. Um, they promised this time their bows would be sighted in and everything would be good to go. So, but it was just crazy to me that, wow. you know, I ended up talking to them and I said, they said, look, we can't draw a rifle tag everywhere in the, in the country. It's getting so hard to get a rifle tag that because this was an OTC tag, we thought, heck, let's do it. At least we get to go hunt, you know? And I think that with the amount of tags that are being reduced in the Western states because of drought and because of, I mean, I know in like Idaho and those places, they had a big kill off, you know, from the, from the snow and stuff, more people are going to turn to bow hunting, I think, because there's more tags available, you know? And so I'm hoping that that really drives the industry, you know, and really kind of picks it back up, but um, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Jeez. Yeah, it was that's crazy. a new one. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, that was crazy. It was crazy, you know. And we did sell them some broadheads too because they were shooting some broadheads we didn't really like. But you know that. I'm actually super. anxious to hear about that. I wanted to talk to you at convention, but just never got time to sit down. Tell me about that new broadhead line. The new broadhead. I wish I had one here, but I don't. I've got all the other ones. The new broadhead line is called the Outraged, and it's it's a redesign of a broadhead that my father and I came up with probably 13 years ago. And 
Um, Dad and I went into business together with it because Vortex had shut down at that time. He basically closed doors. He was taking care of my mom. She was super sick and my grandparents. And and so we came up with this new line ahead and, you know, father, son trying to do business together, old school ways, new school ways. It was, we never really, we never had an argument per se, because I just kind of said, Hey dad, you can have the patent. You can have it all. Um, I don't have time, but what it really boils down to is we just had two different business models. And anyways, he ended up selling the rights to that head to another company, which I won't say. And they ended up burning him for almost a couple hundred thousand dollars. And um, he spent a lot of money on courts and all that stuff and got it recouped a little bit. But when we got it back, um, I knew I looked at it and thought we need to make some changes, you know. So while dad was living with me here, we sat down all the time. I mean, my I'm not kidding you. I could show you a hundred prototype broadheads that my dad's designed and made by hand. And mm. and eventually a lot of those will put to market. But the outraged, you know, the name outraged came because one. I said, what do you want to name it? I called him Pops. I said, Pops, what do you want to name the new broadhead? And he says, I want to name it Outraged. And I said, why? He goes, well, one, because I wasn't supposed to get cancer and and die, you know, and two, it's better than another broadhead. And I said, okay, well, we'll have to see if we can use that name. So we did all the research and anyways, we got it. So it's called the Outraged. Basically what it is, is a, in flight, you saw it. It's like a traditional stall head that deploys into a mechanical. And the design, we've, you know, after he passed, before he passed, I went to him with drawings and CAD drawings and said, look, I think these are the changes we need to make to it to make it even better. And he was like, you do whatever you want, man. He goes, and those are, you know, that's going to work perfect because he wasn't an engineer by trade. He did everything, whereas we do everything CAD. He did everything with a pencil and paper and a ruler. He would draw stuff up, send it to his manufacturer and say, make it. And it always came out right, you know. Um, but nowadays, you know, we have someone that runs a CAD machine and or, you know, the programs and we can say, hey, this is what we need. And then we just sit there with them and change it. And that stuff's pretty amazing. So the outraged is it's a hundred grain broadhead right now. It's what we're coming out with. We can make it into a 125, but. Right now we're coming out with hundred grain and it's designed for, it's a seven eighths closed inch and a half open. And it's really designed for lower poundage bows, lower poundage shooters. Um, my wife shot her Turkey about a week and a half ago with it. And uh, we just t- killed two grizzly bears in, uh, or, or well, two bears in Russia last week. Uh, we had a Cape Buffalo killed um, this last year with it. And then a giraffe, and then we had a, uh, a water buffalo killed not too long ago. And so it's built for lower poundage, but it's also built for those big, big game animals, you know. And the design of it itself, I'm not saying this because it's our design, but it's it's different than the other mechanicals, whereas it cuts its way in. And as it's deploying, it's acting, it, it, the, the blade design of it, cuts its way completely on front and backside all the way through. And so like when you shoot, when you shoot a normal mechanical through three quarter inch plywood or a, or a shoulder blade or something, what you'll notice on those is it blows the back of the, of the exit side of the, of the wood or whatever material you're shooting into that's hard. It blows it out. Well, that just tells you that the, the design isn't exactly the way it should be. It should be cutting its way through instead of basically punching its way through. And so when we design this, you know, when we shoot it through those hard mediums, it cuts its way out. It doesn't blow wood or blow bone, or it's cutting its way through the entire time that it's traveling. And what I found with it in our testing, and we'll have some independent testing done, of course, but right now I have one. And all the rest have been all over the world killing stuff and, and getting tested. We have some in, 
in Alberta, Canada right now with the recurve shooter. And I won't say his name. And he's been shooting it quite a bit. And he's like Steven. And he's a big recurve. He's he's a well-known traditional bow hunter. And his I just talked to him before he left this last week. And he says, Steven, my concern is that everybody in the traditional world is going to freak out on me when they find out I'm killing this big animals with a mechanical broadhead because it's not supposed to be done. And I said, yeah, I, you're right. Because I've done some research on Facebook, thrown some little stuff on traditional sites and just get roasted. Right. Um, <laughs> I just get roasted and I take it, you know, and, but it's so efficient that, there's not an inch and a half broadhead on the market. You can't compare a two inch to an inch and a half. Of course, you know, there's, there's more resistance, but there's not an inch and a half broadhead on the market that out penetrates it. I don't care if it's a double bevel. I don't care if it's a uh, German kinetics. It just doesn't when you shoot it into those medians, you know, hard stuff through We've, we've went so far as to, I have a bunch of elk hide, you know, from elk we've killed and I buy roasts and then I go to the packing house, which is only about two miles from me and I get shoulder blades, you know, and I test and test and test and test and, and it just outperforms them. And it's just the design, the way it's designed. And it's going to be really, it's going to be a really good head. So we're excited. We should have our production models mid June. Um, we're hoping to have it before a big archery shoot here, the Mormon Lake archery shoot here in Arizona, which I don't know we will, but because um, we have a whole list of people that want them already. So we're excited for it. It's going to be really good. Very cool. That's nice. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's just neat to hear about the, the different concepts in, in design like that. Cause I, I just like, man, I screw one in and call it, good. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not an engineer. I think everybody, anybody knows that, but, um, no, it's, it's so neat to hear about the, the thought and the processes that, that go into, to get there's, something like that. You know, and there's so much that goes into them. There's don't get me wrong. There's a lot of really, really, really good fixed style heads and mechanical products on the market a lot. Um, there's just, you know, we're always trying to, everybody's trying to one up each other, which that's just how the industry is, right? I mean, that's what you do. You got to stay ahead of the curve, but, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think we've done really well with this one and this brought it itself because it's dedicated to our dad. There'll be a picture of our dad on the packaging. And then on the back of the packaging, there's a little bio about him and nice. he was, you know, he, came to market in 1986 with the original mechanical, the Vortex brought it. And a lot of, you know, it was the Vortex, then the Rocket, then the Punch Cutter. Those all kind of came out at the same time. And that kind of started the whole trend. And um, plus what we're going to do is because he died of stomach cancer, we're going to have a stomach cancer, you know, a little ribbon on the packaging. And every pack that gets sold will donate a portion of that pack to the stomach cancer foundation or some type of cancer foundation, you know, so, which we, you know, we want to give back, you know, for more research and that type of deal. So, um, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a good thing. It's a, it's a great head and, and it's going to be sold for a great cause. You know, that's awesome. Good yeah. for you. So what, uh, now you yourself, are, are a big hunter. What's your favorite thing to chase? Man, it's tough. I think that my favorite is probably just like everybody else's. My favorite animal to hunt would probably be elk. Um, we personally, as Arizona residents, don't get to do it often. I mean, we draw a tag every, some guys get lucky and draw every other year, but, you know, we draw tags every nine to 13 years, depending on the year you're applying. But, you know, we've been fortunate enough that because of what we do, we have to do it every year. And, um, this year I'm not doing any elk hunts, believe it or not. I'm not doing any, a good friend of mine drew a tag, uh, Rick Forrest. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's the original inventor of the Swacker brought it. And okay. he's part owners of that company. And him and I are really good friends and we hunt together and, he drew a tag and, and 
you know, he's not old, but he's not old. And the guy's in super good shape. I mean, Rick is legit, but it could be the last good bull tag he gets. And so I, you know, my wife, I coach high school football too. So when I do a bunch of strength and conditioning and, and I, I told my wife, I'm not doing any elk. We're not, we're, you're not doing any elk hunts this year. It's not happening. We're not doing any, but I'm going to go hunt with Rick for five, six days. She's like, huh? I thought you were going to stay home, you know, but, but it'll be really fun and less pressure, you know, it'll be yeah. less pressure. And, and it's just, it's just good. You know, I think, you know, after my parents died and stuff, it, it like I said, it really changed my outlook on life. And um, we don't have to do as many hunts as we do. You know, we average anywhere from 105 to 120 hunts a year. Wow. We, don't have to, we don't have to do that. And so we've backed off on some. Um, and that's going to give me the opportunity to coach more football, train more athletes and be more involved in like our community. Um, and really more involved with my kids. Um, you know, sometimes I think that they, they do hunt, but sometimes I feel like they resent it because over the last 18 years, it's really taken that away, you know, Yeah. but, and so now I'm. I'm really trying to focus on family first and, and let my guys, you know, let, let my guys in Mexico and let our, let Crystal's guys here in Arizona and stuff, you know, take care of the business. But, um, so, I mean, it, it, it works out that way. It'll work out good, but, but elk, obviously elk, elk hunting is like turkey hunting. If they're bugling and screaming, it's an amazing hunt. If they're not talking, man, it's brutal, right? It's, it's miserable. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's miserable, but. <laughs> You know, we're lucky that here in Arizona, there's so many elk that you hear bulls every day. I mean, you're on bulls every day, you know, so it, we're spoiled. We're really spoiled. Yeah. yeah. But. So, you know, one of the things that we ask everybody on the show is when you find yourself, whether you're chasing elk on the mountain or where you're running after coos deer down in Mexico, what is one non-traditional item that you take with you on every hunt? One non-traditional, well, non-traditional item now, I mean, it, it's, it, it didn't used to be, but since my dad passed, I take his handkerchief with me everywhere and on every hunt. And so if you look at a lot of our pictures, if there's a red handkerchief on it, he was That's there. Dead. That's wow. my dad. Cool. And, and so that now is like in my pocket you know, and when my kids kill an animal, they know we're taking a picture with the red hanky. And, yeah. but I can tell you one non one traditional thing that I don't take with me. And you're going to kind of freak out on this is I don't carry a knife. I don't carry a chew through them. I just, if I have to hike back five miles to get a knife to take care of that animal, that's what I do. Or I use, the hunter's knife. And it's been kind of a one year I was hunting, hunting a buck and, and I ended up killing him and I forgot my knife and I'm, I'm not supposed to be superstitious, but I kind of, from that point on, I just stopped carrying a knife. I'll tell you when I was younger, I couldn't tell you how many animals I gutted with a broadhead, you know, just take a broadhead and gut it. And, you know, but back in the day before we knew better, we were throwing deer over our shoulders and yeah. just carrying them out, you know? And I remember one time I killed an elk and I was in, uh, I was in 5B North. I didn't have a knife and I regretted gutting that bull with a broadhead because it took freaking forever. And then I basically went, me and my wife and one of my buddies, we hiked back. They didn't have knives either because I told them don't bring them. And we had to hike back about two and a half miles and <laughs> get a knife and go back and take care of it. But but that's one thing I don't carry. I don't carry a knife. I, I huh. just, uh, it's weird. I, I don't know. It's just like a superstitious thing with me. Yeah. I guess if I was in Alaska or somewhere where I couldn't get back to a knife, then of course I would. But um, when we're hunting around here in Mexico, you won't catch me with a knife in the field. Not in my backpack. Not if I just don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. I usually have a knife or two. 
But uh, the the one for me now is is Oregon went to these paper tags and you have to throw out with a pencil. So that's like the thing that I knew. <laughs> like, you know, it used to be you had the little tags where you just cut the notches out because I used yeah. to say, well, because everybody has a knife when you're hunting, but nobody has a pencil. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, so, but uh, if you're hunting with Stephen Ward, it's uh, he's more likely to have a pencil than a knife. That's exactly, exactly. That's bring cool. bring your own knife because I ain't gonna have one. <laughs> Very good. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, appreciate you spending some time with us today, Stephen, and thank you for your support of of bow hunting, of Pope and Young, of the industry, and of and being an ambassador for for all of us out there. And uh, congratulations. You know, you had a a number of hunts at convention. I think you had another one, you know, in Ogden this weekend at the regional yep. event. And, uh, we appreciate the support and, and, you know, with the, the kudos that you get from within the industry, obviously those are, are hard earned and, and well-deserved. So I uh, really appreciate you. And, uh, thank you so much for, for taking care of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's our pleasure really is. I mean, we, we, we love the organization and, and we'll do everything we can to help it. Awesome. Well, Hey, we will see if, if not before we will see you down in Phoenix in 25. All right, guys. Well, all right. Be safe and take care. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye.